All right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Good News Cast. This episode, uh, we are going to talk about, uh, reflect on really the uh, joys, uh, comfort, security um, that we have in light of the theology we've been talking about. So if you look back at our last episodes, tough theological topics, we've talked a lot about God's sovereignty really in our salvation. That God, um, when it comes to our salvation, he did not sit in heaven and cross his fingers and hope for the best that Jeff would finally come to his senses. Um, but he, he was on a mission that he was and is going to accomplish. So we're talking about God's sovereignty and our salvation in a lot of ways. So today we're just going to riff on this episode about really why it matters. We've touched on this, but how it hits the ground personally, day-to-day basis, the joys of it, the comforts. I know some of these doctrines, if they're new to you, maybe you've you've jumped into the debate. Sometimes they can feel, um, well, for some, for different reasons, can feel like it takes away joy or it's even a threat to how you view God or, or something like that or God's love. So that's what we're going to talk about, kind of wrap up this little series we've done to talk about the joy and uh and comfort that these doctrines give so um we're just going to riff on it we did not uh we did not really plan out um anything before i hit record so um so i'll I'll throw it to jeff first oh yeah thank you bro you're welcome (laughs) okay so here's what i was thinking about when you were just talking and we're doing this on an empty stomach yes we are because we have not eaten yet usually we have a nice big old barbecue gut right now and and we're fighting to stay awake. Um, Okay, so for me, maybe my uh, journey into the the depths of God's sovereignty, uh, I think think it was a guy named John Piper who said uh, God's sovereignty is like being hit by a Mack truck. Um, And he says, if you survive the impact of that collision, this truck is loaded with fruit. Uh, I think that's a good description of how I encountered uh, God's sovereignty and how um, it literally did hit me like a Mack truck. And it actually did not start with connecting doctrine A to doctrine B or someone you know, giving me the Presbyterian cuss word predestination and freaking out about it. It actually started on the mission field when I was in an unreached area um, in a place called Kazakhstan, which now is in the news for its uh, upheavals that are going on, uh, in the capital city of Almaty. And so you had a mixture of Russian and a mixture of Kazakh. Uh, and what Stalin did is he, he would take all these different people groups and mix them all over the republic so there couldn't be a, a large consensus of one race or nation gathering to to revolt against the the empire, so to speak. So you had lots of Russians uh, down there. You had Koreans down there. You had, uh, and in Kazakh. So in doing so, sometimes the Kazakhs that lived in the villages, they hadn't, um, their culture was so unreached that there was no churches in those areas. So it was fascinating when we were on the university that you would have those students that came from this vast, Kazakhstan's a huge place. Uh, that came from villages that, you know, the gospel has never been to for who knows how many hundreds of years, right? Uh, And they'd come to the university 
we'd have a conversation with them about Jesus and they're coming to know Jesus right and left. And I, it was, uh, for those of us, the six of us that were on this team, we literally started asking. I had always thought that, that everyone's seeking God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started asking, and it wasn't, um, I, again, I didn't have Doctrine A and Doctrine B yet in my toolbox and did not even know about the word, the nasty word predestination. But all of a sudden, we as a team were asking, who's really seeking whom out here anyway? Mm-hmm. Are, are people seeking Jesus or is Jesus seeking them? So that that was my introduction to this topic that we're actually starting about. That, that began uh, an experiential leading to a thinking theological shift in me. Mm-hmm. And then I came across uh, Ephesians 1, and then, you know, I've always had heard these, but now these words started jumping off the page. And I realized that Paul uh, is actually excited about these words, and that he's actually, that there's one sentence from verse 1 in chapter 1 to verse 17. It's one sentence. There's not even a verb there. It's a supplied B verb. So he just starts talking about the work of God in the Trinity, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Look at it. You'll see how he talks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. As he gets into the work of the Father, that's where these nasty words come up that that um, give us so much angst. And I realized he is actually celebrating this. This is actually good news to him. Mm-hmm. This actually is so filling him with joy that he can't even complete a sentence. Mm-hmm. And I, I, even then, so those two things, that passage, my experience overseas, sharing Christ with folks, and realizing maybe I don't understand this doctrine that well. Mm-hmm. And maybe the more I actually understand what it really means will actually push me emotionally in the direction Paul's going. Mm -hmm. And then when you start looking throughout the whole Bible, you start seeing that's always the case. Anytime anybody's talking about these, these Presbyterian cuss words, as we say around here, they actually fill people with great joy in the Bible. So then I knew something was up. And then you get and you go to a place like Chronicles and you hear this, we adore him as being in control of everything. And you're thinking, oh my word, they're actually, this is, they're adoring God. They're filled to overflowing with awe and energizing life. Uh, That's compelling. And then I go to seminary and I'm in a church history class and uh, I'm looking at the history of missions. And uh, my professor tells the story of how when he did his first church history class and he saw the history of missions, he realized that all the first missionaries, the missionary impulse that came out of the Reformation and and came into what's called the missionary period of the church, all those folks believed in this doctrine, believed in God's sovereignty and his grace, and God is seeking people. God is at work. God is doing. And it it sent them all around the world. And, uh, And this professor of mine said he went up to his church history professor at the time and said, wait a minute, I... I don't understand that. I thought that this was the doctrine that suppresses evangelism, suppresses action, suppresses missions. If God is doing it and God's at work and and God is the author of salvation, doesn't that like do the opposite? 
And this person, he said, this church history professor, he said, on a good day is a half-point Calvinist. <laughs> he said, oh, John, Dr. Hannah, goes, oh, John, they didn't go out, uh, these missionaries didn't go out to, like, save souls. They went out for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was a shift. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that was my introduction um, that's the first thing that came to my mind when yeah. you brought this up, dude. Two things come to my mind. I'm going to try to remember the second one, uh, but I know that I had two. One is when it comes to the joys of, of these doctrines, the joy, the comfort, the security, the encouragement. Um, every night, almost every night when I pray for my boys, when I put them to bed, I pray that God would give them faith and repentance. I mean, it's just a part of, of, you know, when I'm praying for them, God, give them new hearts, give them new life, give them faith and repentance. Um, if I um, believed essentially that God is crossing his fingers in heaven, uh, he gives a little bit of grace to get you to the point to just, you know, stand in a neutral place and make the decision yourself or, or whatever. It's hard to talk about these things because then I go, oh, we haven't. I need an hour to, you know, parse yeah. out what I just said. Yeah, but yeah. Um, if I just think of God is sitting in heaven, going, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, you know, then really I shouldn't talk to God about my kids' faith or repentance. I should solely and only talk to them about it. Will I talk to them about it? And do I, even as young boys? Yes, I call them to faith in Jesus and repentance of their sin. However, I get to go, I don't know how to say it, behind the scenes um, to the one who has the power to give them a heart that believes in Jesus and repents of their sin. The reason I'm saying this is because I, as a dad, with these boys that I love and, and want nothing more for them than to believe in Jesus, never know a day of not believing in Jesus, um, I would feel so helpless um, to think that I can talk to them about faith and repentance, but but if it doesn't come from God, what's the use in talking to him about it, right? Um, if it's God, you know, help them on their journey to faith and repentance, but I know that you're going to stop short of, of giving that gift to them. And if giving them that hard, it's like, well, what, what am I talking to you about this for, right? Yeah. And I would feel helpless. So it's a joy and it's a comfort for me that I can come before God again and again and again and pray, Lord, give them faith and repentance. Give them the faith that I'm calling them to and your word's calling them to. Give them the repentance I'm calling them to, your word's calling them to. Give them those new hearts. Give them that new life um, because they can't do it for themselves. I can't do that for them. Um, you can uh, by the power of your gospel. You know, it, it's so striking because um, just even as you're talking about that, I, I, I am thinking about, of course, then why, why do we pray? Yeah. So if, if our view of prayer, everyone's view of prayer, everybody know every Christian in every tradition and every theological stripe knows that you're supposed to pray, that prayer is like absolutely crucial and vital to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we're told in the Bible to pray for others. So if God doesn't work, 
Isn't prayer asking God to do something? Right. I mean, the very essence of petition is that you're petitioning grace, you're petitioning God to do something. So no matter what your theological uh, heritage and tradition and background is, everyone believes in prayer and everyone functions in their prayer life as if God hears them and God does something and can do something. Mm So even let's push that into evangelism, let's push that into ministry, let's push that into the life of the church, let's push that into community, let's push that into discipleship, changing lives, uh, all the things that of the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come realities. Um, of course it would apply. Yeah. So in a sense, I think that's what the that one professor was trying to tell Dr. Hannah, who related on to us, and I was thinking the same thing, when you look at church history, the ones that were going all over the world, the first ones that led the missionary movement were folks that believed this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so believing in it didn't dampen, it actually ignited their yeah. missionary. Yeah. It ignited the missionary movement. It ignited yeah. the, the radical trust to go someplace where no one's ever heard about Jesus before and proclaim his name and watch God at work. Mm-hmm. And that's what I experienced overseas personally that pushed me and started leading me in this direction. And that's what you see in the scriptures and that's what you see in church history. And if we think about it in a common sense way, I mean, isn't that what we're doing when we're praying? Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking as you say that, that, that for those Christians who maybe disagree with us on this on this reality of where does faith come from, uh, well, let's take that particular point. Okay, we, we, we're going to say it comes from God. God gives faith. God changes hearts. God gives new hearts that believe in him. Um, and, and aside from God doing that, we're just dead in our sin. We don't, we don't believe there's this neutral place, you know, that God puts you in where you can kind of see the dark side and the light side and then make your choice. No, you go from being dead to alive believing in Jesus. Um, even for Christians, I bet a lot of Christians who maybe err that way, believe that I wonder if their prayer instincts betray their explicit theology, meaning maybe that's what they believe. They would disagree with us on this issue and yet they would pray for God to save people. Yeah. Which again, theologically in my brain, at least sitting here right now, recording this unprepared podcast, I go, that doesn't make sense to me because if, if I really believe that my boys or or my friends or whoever it is, that at best God is going to put them in a neutral position where their eyes are opened and they can see the path of unbelief or belief. And then he, I mean, he really takes a step back and does nothing from there. And he leaves that choice entirely in their hands, as opposed to giving them a heart that wants to make that choice. Uh, why talk to God about it? Right. Why? I mean, theologically, I really am in this moment going, I don't have any Bible theology there to drive me to pray. I have a lot to drive me to beg and plead with that person. But at best, I can pray, God put them in a neutral position. God put my sons in a neutral position to see clearly that they should believe in you. Yeah. That is not my prayer for my kids. My prayer for my kids is God... I know we are all born dead in our sin, raise them from the dead. And what I mean specifically is give them a new heart that believes in Jesus. Yeah, which That's is our I'm resurrection, saying. right? Yeah. There's also uh, one of the other things about church history that's so fascinating that, that 
kind of confirms what you're saying. And that is in the first, there's a difference between the first great awakening and the second great awakening and the first great awakening in the United States, the, uh, the pastors, uh, looked out on their congregation and they saw tombstones and therefore they proclaimed a Jesus of mercy and grace and power, a life, death and resurrection that raises the dead. Mm -hmm. And so the sermons were oriented around the subject of the person and work of Christ. Uh, what shifted in the Second Great Awakening is that uh, the pastor, uh, the evangelist, looked out on the congregation and didn't see tombstones. And I'm just going to tell you what the church history professor said. <laughs> they say, he said they looked out and they saw just a bunch of dumb SOBs. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was is that now the message, the the content was to move them, to move their will to get them to change their mind, because they're a bunch of dumb SOBs, mm -hmm. to actually want, choose Jesus. And so do you see what happened? Instead of uh, the content being the person and work of Christ, the content became your response to Christ. And so what ended up happening is, is that people were choosing someone that wasn't even there because he was never proclaimed. Mm. Um, that's a... That's a very interesting, yeah. interesting um, comparison in yeah. church history. So, uh, the gospel is the power of God to raise the dead, um, and so even proclaiming who Jesus is is actually God's way of actually speaking us back to life again. Yeah, but there's another thought that comes to my mind, bud, and that is if if Jesus or God brings us into a neutral place, he's bringing us still to a place that we wouldn't have got to ourselves. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, true, true. Yeah. you're still asking God to do something for someone that they can't yeah. do for themselves, which is, isn't that grace? Isn't that the grace of God? So what Calvinism or what the Bible is teaching is that, yeah, God, he just does it. Yeah. Yeah. He raises the dead. Yeah, that's very true that on both sides of this, on both sides of it, you still have to admit, even to get to that neutral place, God is is doing something in your heart. Yeah. He's doing something, and we're just saying he's doing something bigger. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say, and then we'll, we'll end this, is and it was the second thing that I was struggling to remember, is that I think remember, and we've touched on this, that these doctrines... These truths are communicated in the Bible to real people in real time and real space who hold real jobs, have real spouses, real kids, living real life. And they're communicated um, on the ground in the nitty gritty, not uh, to say, hey, go off and just kind of think about these abstract thoughts um, because it'll just be nice for you to have these truths categorized in your mind the vast majority of the time, it's very clear um, in the immediate context of the verses or the broader context of the verses, the broader chapters, that there's a highly personal application of why predestination is being talked about. Um, my point being is this, is that when we come to Jesus and believe in him, we don't, we're not saved by our theology. And most of the time, this is, these are truths, especially in America, in today's day these are truths and realities we come to later in the christian walk but what's beautiful about it is that is that the bible is going hey let me explain to you what happened um, i remember a pastor in dallas matt chandler one time 
said seriously and 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 comedically you know i was saved at so at a certain point in my life and ever since then i'm just trying to recover from it in a good way um these doctrines are saying hey you know um you're alive right you're alive your your eyes are open you're breathing you're alive uh turn around you know and then you turn around you see a tomb behind you and then you're like what is that tomb and the bible's like let me explain what that tomb is you were there like i was dead I mean, I know I was bad off. No, no, no. You were dead. That was your tomb. You're in there. The stone was covered. You were not breathing. You were dead. So it's like you're in the kingdom. You come to faith in Christ, and these doctrines are going, let me show you how amazing it is. You think it's incredible? It's way beyond that. You know, you think that God is big and powerful, but let me explain how you even came to faith. You know, you think he only puts you in a neutral position. No, no, no. He went further. You know, you think the cross was only just this kind of like possibility for you to grab. No, he went further. So I, I thought of that in terms of the joys and the comforts of these doctrines that again, it's, we are, we, we think about these things, we study them, we, we ruminate on them, we meditate on them truly as like, I am learning about what happened to me. I am learning about what God did in my life and what he's still doing and it brings me joy. It brings me comfort. It brings me security. Um, I wish I would have known this stuff a long time ago, but here we are. Praise God, here we are. You know, he brought me here. Um, so hopefully these episodes have been encouraging. Uh, I'm sure they've raised a, a bunch of questions. Again, we could talk for hours and hours about, you know, clarifying different things, statements, words, whatever. Um, but uh, But we haven't had lunch yet. So we got to get to that. Um, guys, I don't know what we'll cover next this spring uh, here at our church in Waco. We're going to be preaching through, Jeff's going to be preaching through a sermon series, um, Bible Basics, and we're going to start tackling that here pretty soon. The next couple of weeks, maybe some one-off podcasts, and then we're going to start diving into uh, Bible Basics um, and kind of doing some more behind-the-scenes detailed work, talking about the history of, of different doctrines and fundamental core truths of Christianity, um, getting into some of the nerdy stuff at times. Uh, so I think it'll be a good time. So as always, thanks for listening.